I don't believe that investing should be gamified in any way. Investing is an intellectual pursuit and it should not be emotional. And the moment you start to get social media type input, discussions, feedback going around investment, you move very, very quickly and easily out of the intellectual realm into the emotional realm. Welcome to the Investing for Teens podcast. The voice you just heard is Bill Gordon. Bill's a wealth advisor for a San Francisco company by the name of Paragon. And what you've just heard him speak on is his opinion on the gamification of investing. Last episode, the main topics focused on were the importance of both investing early and for long periods of time. Although, for all investors, whether you start in your teens, 30s, or 60s, opening an account to invest in is the first step any investor or wannabe investor must take. And as the world has modernized and grown within the space of investing, there are a handful of sites and companies one can use to begin their investing careers. Personally, at the moment, I solely operate within Vanguard, but there are plenty of other places to open an account, and in the case of all teens under 18, a custodial account, which is an account with your money, but run by your parents until you're 18. Now, I'd like to separate some of these companies into different groups. Traditional or companies like Vanguard, Charles Schwab, and Fidelity have operated for long periods of time, and non-traditional companies like Robinhood and Acorn, who've become new names in the finance world, specifically around opening accounts. Note, to open an account at any one of these companies, You'll need things like your name, social security number, email, address, driver's license, and a bank account to wire money to your brokerage account, which is essentially an investing account. I wanted to ask Bill where he opens accounts for his clients and or himself and family. For those clients, we, we always use um, some of the large known independent custodians. Uh, we particularly like and have a strong relationship with uh, Charles Schwab. We've, we've used TD Ameritrade a lot, but TD last year got bought by Schwab and is being slowly absorbed in. So we, we are attending to open all new accounts at, uh, at Schwab now. And I do the same thing with, with my kids. So when it was time for them to start to put some of their earned money and grandma and grandpa money and such in, into in investments, they both opened accounts at, at Schwab. For Bill, a more traditional company and brokerage firm is where he's gone to open up accounts for both his clients and family members. And while he clearly gave his opinion on the cons of companies like Robinhood and the gamification of investing at the very beginning of this podcast, I'd like to be very clear the fact that opening an account anywhere is better than nowhere. But if you were to open an account within Robinhood, I'd try not to be caught up in all the cool features it has that makes it seem more like an online gambling site than a brokerage account. Plus, if you find Robinhood specifically intriguing because of how easy it is to open up accounts or operate within the app, maybe it's time to take a look at some of the more traditional companies' investing apps. One of the things, I mean, I know Robinhood um, you know, and Acorns and others online make it really easy to, to sign up, which is which is super and managed online. Places like Schwab have really good mobile apps. In fact, in anticipation of today, I asked James. James, for reference, is Bill's 19-year-old son. How's their mobile app? 
He said, it's, it's fantastic. I said, what do you use mostly on computer or on a mobile app? He said, almost exclusively on my mobile app. Clearly, the more traditional companies like Charles Schwab have looked at new competitors and their styles and have applied these new technologies and advances into their own companies. Out of interest to what Bill had said in the previous segment, I myself went on Vanguard on the computer and found it rather easy to find different stocks and ETFs and make transactions. So while newer platforms like Robinhood may previously have been more appealing for teens out of simplicity, I would argue that narrative is out of date. As today, even more traditional companies like Charles Schwab and Vanguard offer easy platforms to operate. Now, once you've created your account, like we briefly mentioned in the first episode, there are plenty of places where one can allocate their money. But before I ask Bill what stocks, ETFs, bonds, or crypto he refers his clients or invests in himself, I wanted to know any lessons he had for teens starting to invest. Three that, that come to mind, and they're kind of yes, general principles, life lessons uh, that I use with clients, and also I think some of them even more applicable to young investors. So the the three that I'm going to share with you that, that I think are the top three are, first of all, diversification matters. And that's, the concept is pretty simple, is that not having all of your monetary eggs in, in one basket. I, um, I have a personal experience of that that I tend to share with my, my clients is that in the early 2000s, I went all in, in real estate investing. This was before the markets had gone crazy and I was quite a conservative real estate investor, but I sold out of all my uh, tech stock and my options that I'd done well with. Um, I had learned from a, a mentor who had called diversification, diversification. He said, why wouldn't you invest everything in the one area that you know the best? And the area I knew the best was real estate. So I thought, hey, that made sense to me. Let me not diversify. I, I, I don't. I don't want to do that. So I went all in in what I knew really, really well, which was real estate. Well, that works just fine when it's working fine, but it doesn't always work fine. And even if you know things really well, you don't control the overall market. So that went exceptionally well until it didn't in '08, '09, when it was uh, financially very, very hard on uh, on me and my family and taught me an incredibly important lesson that I bring to the world, which is the value of diversifying your investment. For listeners that don't know what Bill is referencing when he's talking about financial difficulties within the real estate market in 08 and 09, well, that's known as the housing market crash, which in reality didn't have a ton to do with houses, but more with the fact that banks lended homeowners loans and mortgages that they couldn't pay eventually leading to a housing bubble, which in 08 was popped, leading to massive financial consequences throughout the US and the world. In Bill's case, these financial consequences were massive, and his story teaches a very important lesson around why it's important to diversify your investments. Let me provide another example that teens today may relate a bit more to. That's cryptocurrency. Cryptos become a very big investment and a platform for new investors, but it's also very volatile. While it's more frequently volatile than the housing market, the same rule of diversification should apply to it. Holding all your investments in cryptocurrencies would not follow a very safe investment strategy, 
and leave you more susceptible to losing all your money instead of only some of it. And now, here's what Bill's second lesson and principle is. Um, but to any investors, that time matters. I know there's that, I know, urban myth, I'm not sure it's entirely true, that Einstein called compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. I, I believe that's a, a long stretch of the truth, but still, compound interest over time is incredibly powerful. I'll give you an example of that, Ian, that, uh, that I find compelling, that you know, if you cobbled together, brought together somehow through work, money from grandparents, friends, et cetera, $8,000 right now or in the near future. And let's assume reasonable annual returns of 7% on your money. In 50 years, without doing anything else, you put $8,000 in, put it in the market, you leave it, you forget it. And if we could achieve that 7%, that's a little bit lower than the average rate um, that's been achieved by the S&P 500 over the last 50 years you would have $250,000 in 50 years. So that's pretty cool. Multiply it up, say that within maybe, I don't know, a year, two, three of getting out of college, you could have $40,000 saved. Maybe you go back and do live with mom and dad, whether they want that or not, but you save a bunch of money, you put $40,000 in a, it's retirement accounts and some investment accounts, leave that, park that for 50 years, at 7% per year, you have one and a quarter million dollars. That's pretty cool. That is the power of compound interest. You do the same thing, take $8,000 or $40,000 when you're 50 years old and put it in a bank account. Well, you're not likely to have 50 years to let it grow for one thing, and it's not gonna help you towards retirement nearly as much as every dollar you can put in the market now at, at these young ages. And we're talking about investing for teens here and, and young adults start now and little amounts matter. It doesn't have to be $8,000. It can be $600. Could you imagine putting $600 in every year? I've run the numbers. I don't have them in front of me, but it's, you still get incredible results. The relationship between time and compound interest is vital. Without time, the potential for compound interest is decreased substantially. And when you invest, your money is vital. Reiterating what Bill stressed, Beginning to invest when you're older doesn't allow for your money to compound in any way, shape, or form like it can at a young age. In other words, the order matters, which leads us nicely into Bill's last point, which I'm sure teens can very much relate with. The third one I think is really useful. It's simply the order of money. And what I mean by that is you earn money or money comes into your life somehow. You typically earn it and as, as life goes on, it'll be earned and, and less gifts and such. What you do next is the most important thing. The second thing you do is you invest your money and then whatever's left over is the third item that you get to spend. Far too many people do reverse the last two. They earn the money, comes in, they spend it, and they think, oh, I'll try to invest whatever's left over. Not, not enough is always left over. It's always stuff to spend on. So the order of money is earn, invest, spend the rest. So instead of buying those new shoes, shirt, video game, or basketball tickets, invest. I don't want to make it sound oversimplified, but realistically, it's very simple. Any money you earn or are gifted should have a place where it can be invested. There, 
you can follow Bill's first lesson around diversification. But point is that instead of spending your money first, you should invest it. From there, whatever is left over, whether that's 10, 30, 50, or even 80 to 90% can be spent on whatever you please. Though, while at a young age, I'd reinforce the fact that saving more and making little sacrifices will greatly help you in the future. As right now, hopefully you don't have to worry about other large expenses that in the future you will have to worry about. You now know Bill's three life lessons and principles, but I thought it'd be very important to get a sense around what investments he was referring to his clients and how he follows these rules. First of all, we, uh, so my business partner and I with, with Imperagon are not stock pickers. Mm -hmm. So I will just lead with that. Uh, oftentimes our clients will come to us with individual stocks that they may own, either that they have worked for, currently worked for, uh, previously built portfolios. And, and if there's a lot of gains in there, we may or may not make any change or many changes to that. But we do not pick individual stocks. Uh, that history does not favor individual stock pickers over the over the long term, okay, and all the social media brags you you hear are typically you know the brags about the big wins, but they don't tend to brag about all the big losses and the more consistent losses that are generally racked up. Doesn't mean there aren't a small number of people who are consistently very successful, but the numbers do not bode well. So therefore, um, we do use some other ways of investing for our clients. But by and large, I like the concept of low cost funds. Uh, I don't know if the term ETFs has, has come up. So ETF is an exchange traded fund. It's a an aggregation of a bunch of companies that are invested in to match an index like the S&P 500 but that, that can be traded on a daily basis and have the same liquidity as a stock would have. But so instead of investing in 500 companies to try to match owning all companies in the standard Poor's 500, you can buy a fund that's called an S&P 500 fund that owns those and you can trade in it or out of it and own it, but just in little chunks, you know, 50, $250, you know, share kind of, kind of, Thing. So we're big believers in, in investing through low cost exchange traded funds or ETFs or and Vanguard has, has great funds as well. Um, before you even get to that, though, we talked diversification earlier. You kind of need to decide up front an at, what's called an asset allocation model. Just to decide you want diversification. And then you need to decide how your assets, how your investments are going to be allocated. And, you know, over the you know, time in life, you'll have real estate that you own. You might invest in other businesses. You might own a business. You might, as well as your investments in the stock market. Today, we'll, we'll limit this to investments in, the, in these equity markets. But we tend to be believers in a globally diversified asset allocation model. About 50% of the public stocks companies owned around the world are valued in the, as United States companies. And yet there's 50% outside of the United States. So there's this whole world and people have a bias towards investing 
in their own market, but we are big believers that there's importance in diversifying beyond U.S. borders. So we look at, you know, investing, you know, 50 to 70% in the U.S. market, but anywhere from 30 to up to 50% in non-U.S. markets. And there are funds that specialize that, funds that specialize in developed markets and that specialize in uh, emer- what are called emerging and growing markets. So now, figuring we- that out first is, is kind of your first thing. The asset allocation model in investing is the number one most important decision that you need to make that will impact the success of your investments for the long time horizon more than any other decision you're going to make. For Bill, ETFs, also known as exchange-traded funds, are the sole thing that he recommends his clients. And this is a totally plausible way to invest your money and a very safe way to secure growth. But I wouldn't shy away from some of the more safer stocks that, well, either track, make up, or outperform the market as a whole. Today, I think about Google, Microsoft, Apple, as some of these options that one can look into. But even other companies like NVIDIA or Johnson Controls are stocks that are still worth buying and holding. Point being, the teens don't have to solely put their investments into ETFs to find long-term success. But we'll talk more about experimental and diversifiable investments later on in the podcast. But now, here's what Bill thinks makes up a good fund and ETF. Your funds, and you want good, large funds, uh, highly liquid, uh, low fees, we're big, big, big on, there's no point in paying a lot of money for someone to track an index fund. Yeah, so for the, for the U.S. market, I mean, a really simple way to get access to, um, you know, a large number of the largest companies in, in the U.S. is what's called the Schwab Total Stock Market Index Fund. Its ticker is SWTSX. That's like S like Schwab, W, T like Tom, SX. Um, it's trading about $83 a share right now. And the fee, the annual management fee that they charge on that is... Point, it's three basis points, which means three one hundredths of a percent. So it is very, very, very inexpensive. So tremendous value and a great way to, to literally park and not worry about your money in the, in the U.S. market. For um, developed international markets, you know, the, the U.K.'s, France's, Germany's, et cetera, of the world, um, VEA, like um, V for Vanguard, EA, um, is, is a fund we quite like. It trades at 0.05% uh, percent, um, fees, and it's currently trading about $53 a share, so quite affordable to get into. And then for emerging markets, we quite like a VWO, again, Vanguard fund, VWO, um, 10 basis points. So one-tenth of a percent, a little bit more expensive, but still very, very reasonable fees and trading currently about $50 a share. The three ETFs Bill has just recommended are all great options for an investor, whether early on or late into their career, to either start or continue buying into. One of these options Bill recommended is a fund that's based outside of the U.S. And as mentioned before, this continues the idea of diversification, where you can create an even greater safety net by buying into funds that are based in different parts of the world. So if one fails, the other can hopefully stabilize the losses garnered from the other. Although, while at least one of these ETFs should be in one's portfolio, they tend to be put away money, 
Generally, these funds won't ever be touched until after retirement, and therefore they can be labeled as rather boring investments. Although the financial markets have plenty of safe and boring investments, they also have plenty of risky investments with large chances of going to the moon or dropping to triple zeros. Many of these investments pose greater risks, but are a great way to keep one entertained in their investments and participants in their money management. One of the things I did, I told my son this the other day too. I said, hey, James, you don't, I know it feels a little boring to just invest in these in these funds. And then, you know, I tell you that once a year, so you should look at it, do a little bit of rebalancing. So to get back to their original percentages, but that's, I realize you might want to, something a little bit more engaging. So what he decided to do, and we talked about this, is carved off a percentage. I don't remember exactly what, but say it's 10% of his total investments as his kind of play account. And that is where he does go out and pick individual stocks and do things like uh, like crypto investing. Um, we quite like the company called Bitwise. Uh, they have a, a symbol BITW that invests in the top 10 cryptocurrencies. I like that. It's a great way to get crypto exposure without having to buy directly into coins and, uh, and diversify, again, diversify that risk across the top 10 cryptocurrencies. So an interesting way to do it. And then he goes out and picks stock. He got really excited about Virgin Galactic a few months ago when it was in the news and things were happening. And he said, Dad, I got to buy this. It's going to be great. And it didn't go quite as he hoped. But that's valuable because it's, yeah. it's engaging. It keeps you interested. You research a, a little bit. I also quite like when I was younger, I read a book uh, by a, a man um, named Peter Lynch called One Up on Wall Street. And he had, a, he had a really neat premise, which is pay attention to where you're spending money in your life, where your family, where your friends are, maybe where your parents are spending money. Notice if that's a publicly traded company or not. Go look at it. Do a little bit of reading on it. But if you see everyone around you starting to talk about and spend money at X company, maybe that's a company at least worth investigating. And it keeps you engaged and a little bit more personal. You start to observe where you, family, friends, people around you are spending money and talking and then allows you to tie it into where you put your money. And I just, I've always liked that concept. I'm, it's not necessarily the strongest concept to build in a whole, whole portfolio around. I wouldn't recommend that or advise that it has been proven not to be the best strategy for that. But for picking some stocks and gaining interest and education around the market, I think it's a great way to get yourself educated and engaged with the market. In my eyes and mine, there should always be an investment that keeps you checking your phone or brokerage account. It would be rather counterintuitive of me to create this podcast in hopes of getting teens started with investing, but not keep them investing. And the best way to do that is to take a smaller portion of your portfolio, as Bill described, and invest it into a riskier investment. I myself don't have any cryptocurrencies in my investment portfolio right now, but I have a handful of risky investments like DraftKings and NextEra Energy, whose movements I track more frequently than any of my ETFs, even though the majority of my portfolio is made up of them. Whether these investments go up or down really has 
little to no effect on my portfolio. But it does keep me interested in investing and diversifies my portfolio. Hopefully, from this episode, it's a little clearer how to open an account at which company or firm you'll choose, whether it's a traditional or non-traditional firm. But either choice is a step in the right direction, because without an account, no investing will ever occur. Once you've set up your account, I'd strongly recommend following the three principles Bill laid out in today's podcast. Being diversified, time matters when you want to compound, and the order of money. I'd prefer not to be directly advising anyone's investments for fear of retaliation. This is not money advice, but maybe, just maybe, you should purchase or look into one of Bill's recommendations for ETFs, or do some research and find a good, strong total market fund or diversified fund that you can hold for decades to come. But don't forget that a riskier investment or two isn't bad. At some point, you'll make mistakes and learn from poor investments, and it's better to make them at a young age and with small amounts of money. I started this podcast with Bill talking about how gamification and gambling on investments is bad, especially with Robinhood. And my stance and yours should not have changed. But I'd leave you all with this. Gambling on a stock or crypto at a small rate is not going to kill you. If anything, it will stimulate you to learn more about investing, whether within the stock or crypto market. And hopefully, you'll get better at investing within those respective markets. But one should always remember that gambling too much is never the right decision. In the next episode, we'll get a glimpse around some of the long-term trends and events that have occurred and how they can shape one's portfolio.